Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin's campus and beyond. My name is Holden Turner. And I'm Juliette Min. Green Tea is a production of the Office of Sustainability at Bowdoin College, sharing the perspectives of students, staff, and community members. This is Green Tea Season 4. Though we're sad to say goodbye to Marie Caspard, who has graduated and is still working on amazing tidal energy research, we're so happy to welcome Juliet Min as the new co-host to Green Tea. Juliet and I sat down to talk about the season ahead and to hear a little about the perspectives that she brings to the program. Enjoy! Alright, so Juliet, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I am a junior at Bowdoin studying uh, political theory and economics. I'm mm-hmm. double majoring in those, and I am studying uh, computer science for a minor. Um, I have worked in sustainability for the past three years. Um, in my freshman year, my first year at school, I was an eco-rep for Osher Hall, and in my second year at school, I was an eco-rep for Booty Johnson House. Um, and then this year, I am very happily doing work for sustainability, just hopping around doing random things, and then also working on this podcast. So very exciting to be here. Fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and where's home for you now? Yeah. So I grew up in California, particularly in the Orange County area where there's uh, a lot of beaches, there's Disneyland, <laughs> <laughs> all the fun things. And Every now and then I visit South Korea to see my extended family, but um, California is home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very nice. So can you tell me a little bit about, a little more about what you're studying and why you're studying it? Yeah. When I first came into Bowdoin College, the first class that I took was Principles of Microeconomics. And I thought that uh, the study of economics was so interesting in the way that uh, you use optimization to uh, ensure the best results given scarcity. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's so relatable with sustainability because sustainability to me means, you know, taking what we have and um, taking care of ourselves now, but also doing so in a way that ensures that we can also be well insured well into the future. Right, because we don't live in a world of infinite resources. Exactly. We don't we don't have abundance of resources here. Um we live we do live in a world of scarcity and so being able to study that was just very interesting. Um and then I've just continued studying it mm-hmm. because of how interesting it is and also because of how painless it was to study it <laughs> <laughs> relative to other subjects. Mm-hmm. Um and I study political theory. I'm a Gov major mm-hmm. at uh, Bowdoin too. It was a major that I picked up this year. Um, mm-hmm. So in the last 12 months or so. Yeah. So yeah. I was originally going to study abroad for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because of the, the pandemic, uh, Bowdoin uh, preferred that we don't go abroad. Mm-hmm. And so to adjust to that, I had a whole year of like credits that I could Bill up now, and yeah. so I thought about what I would be interested in studying, and if how I could make the best of this new uh, opportunity. And um, I had read this book on Saint Augustine mm-hmm. um, by James K. A. Smith, and um, uh, yeah, it was pretty interest. I was pretty intrigued by the book. It was um, 
just following the journey of St. Augustine through mm-hmm. his life and seeing how we could find parallels of it in our life. Um, could, and, you, could you say a little bit more about that? Who, who is St. Augustine to start with? I don't actually know who it is. So St. Augustine is, was a theologian mm-hmm. and a philosopher and a bishop in Hippo, uh, which is a part of North Africa. Um, and he goes through this uh, journey where uh, he's, he grows up with his parents telling him to study well and go to uh, basically have, an, have a lot of ambition, political ambition and uh, ambition for prestige and honor. And he becomes very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, he becomes someone with a great amount of prestige um, in this society. And um, he falls in with this, this group of people mm-hmm. called the Manichaeans. And these are a group of people who... Um, basically champion themselves for having uh, triumphed over faith. Um, They called themselves people who were beyond believing and used reason to Mm. um, basically find whatever uh, source of enlightenment that people were looking for. And basically what Augustine is saying is that even if you say you don't believe in anything, everyone believes in something. Ah. That is the human condition to believe in something. Um, so for us, that would mean like if, if we aren't religious, um, you might believe in science. You might believe in sustainability. You mm-hmm. might believe in principles of democracy or um, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that was something a book that was that you know impacted the way I thought about our human nature a mm-hmm. lot, how I thought about uh religion um and our studies a lot, so having read this book, I know it was a very long winded <laughs> <laughs> long winded answer, yep. but having read this book, I was pretty intrigued, like oh, there are these books out there that I could learn a lot from from reading dialogues of people who were known to be great thinkers. And so I decided to pick up the major political theory. And computer science, that's a little bit less complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Language learning is really fun for me. So my dad told me that um, it would be helpful if I learned a language that would help me get get hired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he said... Why not computer language? Mm, I see. So I was like, okay, that's how I studied computer science. Very cool. Yeah. You've got a wonderful combination of interests going on there. And I'm, I'm sure we'll be picking up some of those interests over the mm-hmm. course of this season as mm-hmm. well, talking to people. I'd love to ask a little bit more about what you said about belief. So what do you believe about sustainability right now? And how does that intersect with your other beliefs? Mm-hmm. I know it's a big question. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's okay. I can try to piece it together or sure. I can try to maybe answer it in uh answer as as much as as much of it as I can mm-hmm. knowing that I won't really be able to encompass the whole thing that goes with it. Sounds good. We can only try. Um, yeah. So, let's see. Uh I am a Christian and uh there are a lot of different parts of my Christian faith that help me to see that caring for our environment, um, that I began to see that it was part of my responsibility to do so. Um, Examples are like when God first creates Adam and Eve in the Bible, um, or Adam in the Bible, he, you know, commands him to 
tend to the garden and care for these animals, name them one by one. And this commandment is, I think, central to what I believe that as a Christian, um, I have a responsibility to see what is around me, the beauty that is around me, and see it as a creation that is good and pleasing to God and something that I should make sure endures. To me, creation and the nature around us is a reflection of the beauty of God. I feel like God is illuminated through through nature. Or we can see that through how people look at nature and then they they feel more connected to God somehow or they feel a bit more at peace with themselves. Um, Or they look at nature and they go, how is that even possible? How is it possible that there's stars in the sky and how is it possible that the leaves are rustling when the wind blows? Um, How is it possible that I can see all of these things? And I'm sure that's where science comes in too, but a lot of people take those things and they start thinking about God or maybe the possible existence of God. And Mm -hmm. so to me, that makes it all the more necessary for me to care for the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And when when I look through the Bible, the beginning of the Bible, which is like before sin enters the world, um, and then the end of the Bible where there is a new creation, there is this new earth, new heaven and this final garden and the river that comes through it when i see that i could i know that creation was intended to be good and creation is something that is good mm-hmm. um and it's something that god had perfected and mm-hmm. is going to perfect too so all of these ideas i know that i'm just throwing things out but um all of these ideas helps me to see that i have a responsibility to tend to the good things that are here and ensure that people can, people as well as myself can see the beauty in it and maybe the person behind the beauty. Mm-hmm. So that's where my, that's where my faith sort of informs my uh, work in sustainability. Yeah, maybe sometime when I like, I'm done flushing out or <laughs> I flush it out a little bit more, we can, maybe I can talk about it with like Eduardo or something like yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I find a lot of resonance with that because as I, I'm a science major and mm-hmm. but there are still moments in which we read about certain discoveries or certain systems and how the world works and I just have to say, Wow, that is so fantastic or mm-hmm. so beautiful. Yeah. And it's moments and it's moments in that where it feels like there's some immensely complex idea or sense of creation behind these things mm-hmm. that um that I can't even seem to comprehend mm-hmm. from my level so it's beautiful and it's it's yeah. wonderful and i i really appreciate you sharing that aspect yeah. of your faith with us so back <laughs> in your first year what made you become an eager up and work for the office of sustainability yeah so i think if i'm being honest i started thinking about sustainability more when i came to Bowdoin and as i became an eco rep and started working for the office of sustainability but coming into Bowdoin, I had some of these ideas about sustainability um, because of just my the things that I had experienced and noticed throughout my life, especially just in high school. My twin sister 
was a leader in this group for environmentalism. Mm -hmm. And to support her, I often went to her club meetings and I helped volunteer, uh, increase the volunteer count, <laughs> um, and also have fun with the people who were there. Mm -hmm. um, so what we would do is we would go to these like, like state parks or regional parks and we would clean up after these parks mm -hmm. and do volunteer work for the people who are managing these centers. And being the person who picked up the, the litter that people left behind in beaches and in these parks, it made me become much more aware of the pollution I was leaving behind as an individual and also as a, as a community, what we were doing. Yeah. Why it is that people have to make these groups, these organizations to to pick up after people? Um, and why is it that we don't do it firsthand? And what is the impact uh, if we didn't have these organizations picking up after ourselves? And then also as someone who began to become more aware of economics, I guess, and this is when I started coming to Bowdoin, mm -hmm. I started wondering why is it that all of these places that have such high economic production have so much pollution, air pollution mm -hmm. and noise pollution and is GDP, economic output, really the right measure for the quality of life mm. in communities? And what are we valuing and what are we championing through these studies or through these industries? And have you found any answers to those questions so far? Or are you still thinking about them? As I continue studying economics, I'm realizing that there are ways in which economics can help sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the podcast too, but certainly I do think that a lot of economists are thinking about it, about uh, is you know GDP, is economic output really a good measure of where our society is going? Um, and also I do think that business leaders and industri industry leaders are becoming more sustainability focused mm -hmm. also as consumer demand increases for more sustainable practices and products um, i do think that there is hope so all of these ideas made me think man if i were to join the sustainability office um, maybe i would be able to contribute some of my ideas and this experience that i had but also it would be so good to maybe have this community to learn from because I realized mm -hmm. that, man, I really don't know anything. <laughs> uh, I really have a lot of questions. Yeah. So um, that's what made me become an eco rep. And it was really rewarding to be working with the person who knows so much about what is happening on campus in terms of sustainability and mm -hmm. with these, all of these students who bring such interesting ideas. Absolutely. Um, the eco reps and other dorms, mm -hmm. um, that was very rewarding. And then I became more aware of different facets of sustainability too, such as like not just in terms of the environment, but definitely relationally too. Mm -hmm. And I think a very good example of that is Bethany, our sustainability outreach coordinator. Mm -hmm. When I saw the way that she interacts with me, the other eco reps and her other coworkers, I could see that she was building up or she was setting up these relationships for a very long-term relationship in a way yes. that would sustain us and would make me, for example, want to keep coming back to work for sustainability. <laughs> so sustainability began to mean a lot more to me 
than just environmentalism. It became how should I act and conduct myself in uh, in the relationships I am currently involved in yeah. or will be involved in in the future so as to uh, encourage a very long-term, sustainable, happy relationship. <laughs> and yeah, how can I care, for, care well for the people around me to make sure that they're also feeling like what they're doing is sustainable? Yeah, um, that's wonderful yeah. because then you don't get the sort of all-in put heart and soul in, but then you burn out yeah. because you've you've invested too much. No, it's it's like a the learning process keeps keeps us engaged and mm-hmm. keeps us always interested in what we're doing. Yeah. It never feels like a drag or like we're doing the same old thing mm-hmm. day after day. Yeah, for sure. Since coming to Bowdoin, what has your experience with the state of Maine been or the Brunswick community? And do you like living up here? Wow. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, when I first came to Maine, it was as a trip for Admitted Students Day. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like around April Yes, when we uh, when I came and I came here with my mom and we wore the thickest coats we had <laughs> uh, knowing that, you know, it might be really cold. And I was so taken aback when I saw that snow still hadn't melted <laughs> in the middle of April, like around eight, the HL library, or I think it was, um, around Hubbard hall, there was just like a bunch of ice and snow. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is, is this really the place for me as mm-hmm. someone who has only seen, like, sunshine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I decided to come to Bowdoin. But definitely, I think the first winter was difficult. Yeah. Um, second winter was also difficult. <laughs> 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 but during the, the pandemic, when we went home, um, spending my first fall out of college mm-hmm. and maybe also my win- first winter out of college in the UC Berkeley area, um, I spent some time in Raquel over that time. Yeah. Um, it was so different than yeah. things that I had come to uh, know as, as a Bowdoin student. So, you know, realizing that I had just been, like, missed my first snow Aww. or that I had missed my first snowman yeah. <laughs> with my friends, um, it made me realize that there was actually a, a very something very beautiful about the winters and the falls in Maine. And so now, now that I'm back here, I'm taking a bit more time to appreciate the beauty that is in Maine. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably how I would answer that question. It's definitely something I'm still processing. Yes, Um, for sure. But yes, one of the coldest places I've been, um, but learning to see the beauty in, in it. And then the Bowdoin community is so nice. <laughs> They're so nice. So I know um, I missed everyone yeah. during the last semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think it's just the Bowdoin students, but also the people who are in Maine. Absolutely. Um, the people here have been so kind and so welcoming and so intentional with the with the students who are coming from far places mm-hmm. who are still processing everything that's going on yeah so I've found it to be quite homey I'm not sure if I would live here <laughs> because it is so cold but it will forever be a very significant important place to me a place where I started to open up my eyes to a lot of new ideas and began to experience things I had never experienced before so very cool yeah 
So for my last question, I'd just like to ask you, um, are there anything, is there anything that you've been thinking about recently on your mind related to sustainability that you'd like to share with the podcast listeners? Hmm. So these are just questions that I'm, I'm wondering about these days that mm-hmm. I hope to be able to answer maybe even partially, but the things that I'm thinking about are given the racial justice movements that have been happening around the world lately or around the country lately and recent happenings at the Capitol. I'm curious about how it is that we can be citizens of this country and conduct ourselves in a way that will sustain our our community that is America. Um, I'm curious what is sustainable about a democracy and as citizens be people who are providing for those who are in need and ensuring that people like the entire concept of sustainability. How can we make sure that we are, I guess, being provided for now? But also, how are we ensuring that future generations of people who will come after us will be um, as well off too? So that's something I'm thinking about. Definitely a those are very great. big question. <laughs> yeah, those are great questions and things that have definitely been on my mind as well. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious as to what many of the people who are going to talk to mm-hmm. say about that. Yes. And maybe one last thing mm-hmm. would be, given the larger amount of time that we've been away from each of our friends um, at Bowdoin campus, being back, I think it poses a question for the people who are on campus Given the larger barrier there is between different people that we have been interacting with in our uh, previous years at Bowdoin, um, will we take up to task, you know, the responsibility to um, reach out to people that we hadn't talked to in a while to ensure that we are taking care of our relationships, tending to these relationships and doing so in a way that is sustainable? Mm. How can I be a sustainable friend? given, you know, this long hiatus that, you know, where we haven't talked a lot. Um, So I guess that's something I'm thinking about, too. It's a wonderful question. It's a difficult one because I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to see someone who you haven't seen in over a year Mm -hmm. and rekindle that friendship. Yes, yeah. Mm. So what is my responsibility here? And what is the best way to go about, you know, doing that? So good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Julia. This is wonderful. And I'm super excited to interview a bunch more people over the course of this semester. Yes. Thank you so much for being a wonderful host today. You too. And asking such wonderful questions. Of course. Over the course of the spring 2021 semester, Green Tea will be sharing stories from students, staff, and community members around Bowdoin College. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thanks for listening!